Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Mac Chang Rimshay, Chapter 32, Part 1. I went to see Dujan Rimshay as often as possible, but the time was fast approaching when I'd have to head back to Britain to avoid the Barabaresh, the Great Rains. Just before I left, I found a statue of Garab Dorje. Dujan Rimshay identified it for me as Garab Dorje in the form of teaching Buddha. He looked quite like Shakyamuni Buddha, but his hands were in the teaching mudra. The statue was inexpensive, but it took me down to the lining on my purse. Time to go home. Part three, this is strange. On being asked to speak concerning the difference amongst the world religions. Chimi Rigsin Rinpoche said, Hinduism is the religion of the king. If you want something, you ask the king. Christianity is the religion of the prince. If you want something, you don't go to the king, you ask the prince. Islam is the religion of the ambassador. If you want something, you don't go to the king, you ask the ambassador. Buddhism is the religion of the manual labourer. If you want something, you do it yourself. This answer bewildered most people, but it seemed evident to me that Rinpoche was making two points. He was defining Buddhism rather than defining the world religions and he was pointing out that everybody seems to approach religion in order to get their heart's desire, or to be protected, saved, cosseted, insured, or released from some kind of primal anxiety. Well, I'll be damned, this is strange, were the final words of Doc Holliday. He made this statement, it is believed, because he expected to die with his boots on, having received a fatal gunshot wound. As it was, he died in bed at a sanatorium in Colorado Springs, and his last words related to seeing his bare feet as they protruded from the bedclothes. In relation to Doc Holliday, I don't know what I expected to happen during the time when I did not see Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, but it was passing strange. Chapter 32 Find Your Own Kandro. In 1981, I went to see Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche. I arrived at the end of February as I wanted to go to Tsopema to attend the celebration of Padmasambhava's birth. It turned out that Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche was not there. He was in Ladakh on a weather-making mission. He often went to different parts of India either to alleviate drought or prevent hail. Drought and hail are the two main curses of the farmer. Kandro Tenzin Drolka was there, however, and also Lama Gyaltsen. Lama Gyaltsen had been lodging at Zilnyon Kagyeling during his stint as the representative of the Nyingma tradition to the Tibetan government in exile. 
I made two errors of perception that were rectified after a couple of days. The first was that Lama Gyaltsen was a monk and the second that he was Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche's son. Lama Gyaltsen held the same basic Gainyen vow as Kunchog Rinpoche and therefore just looked like a monk. This has confused a lot of Western people who have imagined that the Nyingma tradition allows monks to marry. This is distinctly not the case. Those who are married, yet look like monks, have simply not taken vows any further than the Gainyen stage, which does not require celibacy. This would seem to be a mode that has developed in order that non-celibate practitioners can avoid the persecution that seems to accompany the wearing of a white skirt and having uncut hair. These lamas are therefore incognito nakpas and nakmas. I have always felt it to be a pity that the Gurkha Changlode has to has had to obfuscate itself in this way. But then I would not wish to advocate martyrdom. Anyhow, once we'd sorted out that misconception, all was well. Lama Gyaltsen and I swiftly became good friends and it was soon agreed that we'd travel to Tsopema together with Kandro Tenzin Droka. Lama Gyaltsen and Kandro Tenzin Droka revealed to me that Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche would be in Tsopema and that they both regarded him as one of their Tsawai Lamas. What astonishing good fortune! Also fortunate was the fact that I had sufficient funds to hire a taxi to take us to Sokpema. I had an advance on the book I was writing and so I was more comfortably situated than I had ever known. Money doesn't last long when you spend it, but it's made round to go round and I was happy to be able to make this happen. They'd always been independently wealthy persons to whom everything was possible, but for me, sometimes, it hadn't been easy to enjoy scraping by on minimal resources. I'm not envious by nature, but being a Dharma bum in the East lacks the romance it may have in the West. Be that as it may, the taxi driver had family in Mandi and could ply his trade there whilst waiting to take us back to McLeod Gunge. I was especially glad of the taxi ride as Delhi Belly had struck and I was feeling rather weak. It was nothing that wouldn't pass in a week, but it would have been grim to have ridden the buses in that condition. It was an extremely easy journey in comparison with the first journey I'd made. No one had to be told of the non-existent knife I had about my person, although, as before, it rained heavily the entire journey. We arrived and went directly to find accommodation. That was not brilliant. Sopema was crowded and the rent of a room was commensurately exorbitant. 
There seemed to be one vacant room left and so we had to take it. We unpacked and were preparing to go see Kuntrog Rinpoche at the Nyingma Gompa when some monks from the Gompa called in to see us. Sadly, Pemadorje was no longer there, but the monks sat and chatted with us for a while before going to tell Kuntrog Rinpoche that we were on our way. We waited for an interval in the rain, in the rain and made our way over to the Gompa. It was good to see that fine building again, and I looked forward to seeing Kuntrog Rinpoche. He came to meet us immediately, having caught sight of us from a distance. But he had no sooner greeted us than he inquired as to the cost of our room. We told him, and he came himself to extricate us. The monks who'd come to see us had apparently told him where we were and had seemed concerned about us and how we'd been accommodated. The Indian rooming house proprietor was not well pleased when we vacated the room. However, Kuntrog Rinpoche made no beans about telling him that he should be glad we let him keep the deposit on the room and that moreover, he was a goddamn avaricious son of a rent shark. Tsopema had changed since 1975 and the change was not pleasant. It was no longer an entirely Tibetan settlement and litter had appeared where no litter had been seen before. Still, there was the lake and that was the wonder that it ever was. Kunchok Rimshe directed us to the large room that I remembered, and even with the three of us, we were comfortably situated. Lama Gyaltsen and Kandro Tenzin Drolka were taken aback that we'd been permitted to stay in this room, and even more astounded when I told them it was my second time. Suddenly, Lama Gyaltsen became deferential but I informed him my staying in the room was only because I'd arrived bearing a letter from Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche introducing me to Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche. I also told him about the dark maroon important tulku waistcoat I'd been wearing. He laughed heartily about that, but as he did so, I remembered that I'd given it to Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche and here was Kandro Tenzin Drolka, his wife. Before I could divert Gyaltsen Rinpoche, he relayed the story to Kandro Tenzin Drolka. I sat there waiting for the bomb to drop, but strangely, Kandro Tenzin Drolka found the story as funny as Lama Gyaltsen found it. Yeah, 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 she laughed. My husband loves this tona too much. It is also very warm in the cold weather. It is too good, too good. It had been too late to call on Kyabje Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche on the day we'd arrived, mainly due to the accommodation debacle. But the next day we set out after breakfast. I was completely delighted to see Rinpoche again. 
and even more so as his wife, Jomo Sampaldechen, was there with him. She was older than me, but how much older I could not tell. The one thing I did know was that she was incredibly beautiful. I'd experienced love at first sight before, and here it was again in a different guise. This was my Tsawai Lama's wife. To look at the two of them was an extraordinary experience and made me reflect on the city of taking the nature of the sky as one's sole nutrition, like Zemma Zalamo, the divine blushing mistress, who took her sustenance in the way of food and wine directly from the nature of the sky. It seemed that I could do that simply by gazing at Rinpoche and Joma Sampel. This candro is not for you, Rinpoche laughed. You must find your own candro. You found no candro yet? No, Rinpoche, I mean, I've had lady friends, but not as you've described. I'm still looking for the right candro. Oh, yeah, soon. Maybe Kandro's soon finding. Yeah, I feel really, maybe soon. Then Lama Gyaltsen and Kandro Tenzin Drolka spoke with Rinpoche and Joma Sampel. Occasionally Lama Gyaltsen translated, and sometimes Rinpoche prompted him to translate. I listened intently and sometimes understood, especially when Vajrayana terminology was used. Rinpoche noticed my interest perk up whenever I understood the technical terms, and whenever this happened, he smiled at me. Then he'd ask Lama Gyaltsen to explain what he'd said. It was a glorious week we spent together. And during that time, the Garcham of the Eight Manifestations of Padmasambhava was performed. It was requested of Rinpoche, as usual, that he preside as Padmasambhava. He did so, and I was astonished by him all over again. I'd seen Garcham before, but it had never been as real. Rinpoche became Padmasambhava, and everyone knew it. There was another marvel in addition to Rinpoche, and that was Lama Nyawang. He'd been in retreat and had come out just for the period of the Garcham. He danced Dorje Drulo, and his dance was both perfect Garcham and the finest Western ballet. The difference between him and the other dancers was the distance to the moon. The thing that made it so evident was that Lama Gyaltsen and I were playing Rolmos in the Tantric Orchestra, and so we were almost sonically symbiotic with Lama Nyawang. Later, we walked up to the retreat caves and visited Annie Bumchung, an old friend of mine who'd let me use her retreat cave. Annie Bumchung is a Kagyun Yingma nun and a lovely person. She's also a profound practitioner of Dujumte Troma Nakmo. 
She made tea for Kandra Tenzin Droka and Lama Gyaltsen and chuckled as she gave me my glass of cold water. Chu Dangmo, she wrinkled, her nose laughing. Yagpo Mindu. I understood that without need of translation. Cold water, bad. Once we'd taken refreshment, it had been a long, hard climb. We went on to see Lama Wangdor, the retreat master who presided over the caves. He welcomed us and we dined with him before returning to the Nyingma Gompa. The next day we went to see Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche and Jomo Sampal Dechen again. We enjoyed a marvellous day together and Lama Gyaltsen performed a remarkable role in translating as much as he could of what I was unable to follow. After a deal of conversation, Rinpoche said, there's a story I would like to tell you all about Drukpa Kunli, as I feel it would be both interesting and valuable. <laughs>